This is the Dungeon Master's Handbook. Hello, I'm Michael, also known as Chicago Wiz, and welcome to episode 29. We're going to do a little bit of a D&D mishmash this episode. I'm going to talk about some initiative and surprise alternatives, and I'm going to touch on what happened in my last campaign game with the player who was a little bit upset over how the big reveal went. So it's been interesting, the reaction I've gotten from my episodes about initiative and surprise. And really, I never thought that there was going to be that much divergent opinion, if you will. But as I got more into digging into some of the responses and hearing some of the ideas that people were coming up, I've come to realize that the question of who goes first and did we get surprised before we can go is really one that is probably as varied as the number of campaigns that are out there. I'm pretty surprised, but it's been a fascinating uh, few weeks of learning about all of the different ways that people look at things. I mean, I had one gentleman, the Goblin's henchman, who not only was inspired by just the discussion on how surprise works, but apparently he's coming up with his own full combat system just out of the idea of the various modifiers that could be applied, which probably sounds a lot like a lot of other combat systems, but you know what? It's cool because it's his own. And uh, I will put a note in the show notes leading to a couple of his blog posts where he's talked about that. And then more recently, I got a very interesting email from a gentleman named James who was, hey, Chicago is, what do you think about the system from Dragon Magazine 71? And went on to uh, describe how much he liked it. And I guess this is where I make a true confession that may get my grognard or so-called OSR card taken away from me, but... I really did not read much of Dragon or Dungeon Magazine back in the day when they were published. Part of that is probably because of my age at the time. I was a young teen, and honestly, my grass-cutting money and chores money were going to various other things other than uh, magazines at the time, which, you know, I'm not... really sure how much they cost at the time. I'm imagining maybe two, $2.50, $3, maybe a little bit more, but that was a lot of money. And I would see those magazines and I would flip through them at the uh, bookstore or at the game store that I would go to, but I never bought them, just never saw a need to. I guess at the time, and maybe this was kind of a age of innocence kind of thing, or probably more ignorance. I didn't think I needed that kind of stuff. You know, I had the rule books at the time I had Holmes basic. I had the AD&D core books. I had the Moldvay rules. I thought I had everything I needed to play. And so I just never really got into all of the different uh, articles there. 
But since coming back into playing D&D, I found it very interesting to go back to some of those old magazines and read about them and get a sense for what was going on back then. And it's interesting because not much has changed in how gamers approach things. A publisher will lay out their book and here it is and then everybody takes it and runs off in 50 zillion directions and instead of now having one central magazine to publish these kinds of ideas now you have blogs and you have do-it-yourself publishing and you have zines and you have kickstarter and so on and so on sometimes it's an embarrassment of riches but at the core of it is something that I think has always been very special to Dungeons and Dragons, and that's this sense of making it your own. And if there's one thing that I'm really glad to see that has persisted from version to version to version, no matter whether you like the original versions like I do, or you're really fond of the fifth edition like many of my friends are, there's this sense of if you really want to change something, you can do it and make it your own and make it the game that you want to play. And so anyway, so that's kind of a reflection of what I'm seeing in a number of the different initiative and surprise systems that were published in Dragon Magazine over the years concerning how people thought AD&D should work. And the one that James, who wrote this email to me, was espousing is titled, Who Gets the First Swing? Attack Priority System Offers More Realism Without More Work. And that was written by a gentleman of the name of Ronald Hall. If you do have your um, archive of Dragon Magazine or know where you can get them, uh, this is issue 71. And just to summarize the issue, or the article rather, it basically takes into account who can close first and then who is in range and can swing first. And what Ronald attempts to do here is to factor in weapon length for who can close first and then factor in weapon speed for who can attack first. And he also throws in dexterity, uh, the size of the attacker, and the hit die or relative level of experience of the attacker. And through these charts and this approach, he comes up with a simple modifier, and then everybody rolls individual initiative, and you go from there. When I was looking at this article, I also kind of poked around the internet, and to, one, to see if Ronald Hall had written anything else, and two, just to see if he was still around. I wanted to ask him questions about it. But I ran into a blog article written by James Malazuski, also known as Grognardia. And he had written about this same article back in 2010-2011. And he made a point that I think was well taken. And I'll put a link to his post in the show notes, which will be up on my blog. He remarked about how realism seemed to be a goal that a lot of different people wanted, and that wasn't something that he particularly, you know, was in favor of. And it got me to thinking again, this is a theme that I've brought up previous on previous episodes, AD&D was kind of the first edition to try to codify the rules. I think it was Ray Otis of the Plundergrounds podcast who talked about the difference of gamer Gary Gygax as versus 
rules or codification Gary Gygax. And it seems like OD&D and the various supplements had this feeling of exuberance and just kind of do it on your own and wing it and we're not going to try to be real realistic. And that was Gamer Gary. And then you get to more of codification or rules-based Gary, you know, in the later 70s. And this is where AD&D kind of came into. Now, I don't have an exact source for this, but based on my readings over various forums and what people have talked about with Gary, he wanted to formalize Dungeons and Dragons into a set of rules that was kind of the same for everybody. I don't know if this was a factor of the tournament play that was going on and popular at the time. Maybe he was getting tired of 50,000 questions. I don't know. But it's clear that AD&D was his first attempt to really draw a line in the sand and say, this is the right way of playing Dungeons and Dragons. Never really been done before, aside from war game rules. And since D&D was the first step into RPGs, it makes sense that this first step into trying to codify the rules was going to be a little rocky. But even though it was that line in the sand, if you will, I never got the sense that AD&D was particularly meant to be uber-realistic. Kind of pseudo I guess you could say, tries to give you that feeling of, hey, this is the way things are. But in reality, this is the way things Gary saw it. I don't think he was doing scientific experiments to see exactly how far, you know, an arrow can travel or, you know, if uh, the pole arms were really that effective against the various armors that, you know, that he laid out. And that's not to say that he didn't do research, but I think if there was an attempt at realism, at least to me, it feels like a half-hearted attempt. Now, that's not to say that other people weren't trying to include realism into their game. Certainly, David Arneson tried to do it in his way with his own tweaks. Um, you know, if you, if you look at the hit locations, for instance, in the Blackmore supplement, or even if you look at uh, the first fantasy campaign where, you know, there's a lot of his charts laid out. You kind of get that sense that they, you know, he was added, trying to add in his own little bits of realism. And you had a lot of other accessories that were coming out in the late 70s and early 80s that tried to put in this sense of, well, here's how it would really be. But the core rules themselves and the combat therein still was kind of on that edge of the abstract combat that you had in OD&D and what I would consider a more realistic set of rules. I've never played OD&D and AD&D to try to be uber, uber realistic. For me, it was good enough to feel like that there was some sense of plausibility, but come on, we're talking about orcs and elves and magic and all of that here. For me, there's already a certain amount of fantasy and dreamlike attitude here. If my combat's not necessarily all that crunchy with precise hit locations and, you know, uber realism on who goes first, I'm okay with that as long as my players, the people who are there, also are enjoying the game in the same way. And that kind of brings me to the other point I wanted to make about this is... When you're looking at AD&D as it is written versus maybe what 
kind of game you want to play, you have to decide what is the goal of your combat and game itself. Is it to prevent, present, prevent, maybe it's meant to prevent something, but is it meant to present this low fantasy, gritty, realistic world, then maybe those kinds of systems that introduce more realism into your initiative of question of who goes first and how do they do combat, maybe that's going to be important to you. It might not be. And that's one of the reasons why I'm exploring the rules as written and how I'm introducing gradually all of the rules that were contained in AD&D into my campaign to get a sense of how do these work and does it fit the kind of game I want to run? And, and this is a journey right now. You know, I came into AD&D again in the late 2000s, very much with a nostalgic sense and with my memories of how we used to play it. And the more I've learned, the more I've realized how much we had just taken a lot of different things and slapped them together, and that's what I was playing with. And now as I'm getting more into the rules as written, I'm starting to gain an appreciation for just what Gary and the authors were trying to do, the things that they were working with, and the choices that they had to make. That's not to say that I may not keep those things or throw them out in the future. But my biggest question is always going to be, does it add to this game? Does it add to the fun things of the game? Does it make it interesting for everybody sitting in the table, including me? I mean, heck, you're talking to the guy who considers mashing together OD&D and the chainmail combat uh, resolution system to be an interesting thing to do. So, you know, your mileage may vary in listening to me. James, I really appreciated the uh, the email, and it was a very fascinating look into that particular initiative system. Not something that I will use in my campaign, but I certainly encourage you all to, if you have the access, go back and look at some of those Dragon magazines, see what people were doing, see if something exp inspires you. Who knows? You might find something that was written 20, 25 years ago is making your game feel fresh. I wanted to revisit a topic that I brought up in my last episode where I had spoken about how I was worried about losing one of my longtime players. We had had an extremely big reveal there was a lot of moving parts to this reveal, but a summary would be they found a legendary magical weapon that they had been searching for for over a couple of years real time. At the very end, when the paladin player is reaching out or the player's paladin character is reaching out to grab the weapon, the part-time player Chaotic Thief says, oh, I want to have that too. They had a brief tussle, and the paladin's god, who happened to be right there talking to him at the same time he was reaching this weapon, said, don't fight for it. Let it happen. Well, the player had a funny reaction. I didn't think of it much at the time, and, and as I mentioned in the previous episode, I had only had about four hours sleep after nearly... 36 hours straight of working. It had been a rough weekend. 
I probably should have followed up a little sooner then, but I didn't. However, I noticed a couple of days later, he had removed himself from the next three sessions on our signup list. And that was a big flag to me. So I reached out to him. We exchanged a couple of emails and then we had a phone call, which as last episode, I told you that it had all ended up okay. And I want to explain a little bit more about that. And I apologize if I made it sound like that this player was somehow acting selfishly. They were not. I came to find out that this player was worried themselves that they were going to have to end up being the bad guy and hoping that the chaotic thief would end up dying somehow so he could get the weapon. (laughs) Not in a bad way, but in a, this is one of the only ways that we can save the world from the chaos lords, and now it's in the hands of a chaotic thief. Oh my God, we're all going to die kind of reaction. I get it. His And, and he was truly worried. He's like, I didn't want to you know, be sitting there going, well, I don't want this player to die, but if we're going to save the world, we got to get the weapon from them, and they're not going to want to give it up. Could be further from the truth. We had a long talk about it, and and again, this is kind of a warning to me that when you have these big reveals, make sure you do a very thorough debrief at the end, or do what I did and pay attention for, you know, warning signs and check in later. So it is all good, but I, I wanted to stress that in no way was this player trying to be selfish. They were actually really upset, worried that, you know, they didn't know what to do. And so we had a good talk, and... As it ends up, this whole episode has spawned some really wonderful player logs, and I'm going to put links to those logs in the show notes. Uh, I have three different journals from my tabletop game that all talk about their own perspectives of this revelation from the Earth Elemental that they ran into and them getting the legendary weapon. Um, I hope you read those. I just am utterly fascinated by how they all see and interpret my world. And it ended up turning out really well. So all's well that ends well. And finally, um, I'm going to wrap this episode up by talking a little bit about my different type of AD&D game that I'm going to be playtesting over this next week. Uh, tomorrow night, Tuesday night, I'm recording this on Monday. On Tuesday night, I'm going to be running, for the very first time ever, a heist game. I had this crazy idea back when Gary Khan was asking for event submissions. And as a side note, I do this to myself every year. I come up with these great ideas, I plug them in, and then suddenly I'm left with, well, how the hell am I going to do that? Well, I did that to myself this time because I thought... You know, nobody has ever played in the capital city of the entire kingdom. We have a, you know, we have this landmass the size of Russia. We have these several duchies all lying around. And in previous games, we've played in all those, but we've never gone to the center of power itself, the city of Regium. Let's do a, a game there. Well, what could we do there? And for some reason, I thought, oh, let's do a heist with a twist never ever ran a heist game before but i kind of assumed that hey you know what there's got to be a module out there somewhere because what i do is when i dig myself these holes i go look and see what other people have written and dig myself out of the hole by stealing shamelessly from their ideas because that's what we all do is we steal from each other 
well, that was an interesting dive into finding out what various people thought of what made a good heist and what the different types of modules were. I got some several ideas and I did focus on one. I'm not going to reveal it yet because there may be some people that want to play and I want this to be a total surprise to them at GaryCon. Uh, looks like this game is going to be full at eight players. So two play tests. I'm running the first one tomorrow night online and I'm running the next one on Saturday. I'm both really excited and really nervous. You know, I can do a dungeon crawl, no problem. You know, I can do an overland, you know, adventure, absolutely, you know, 100% feel comfortable with that. This kind of game, never ran one like it before. So we're going to see how the play tests go. This is either going to be gloriously wonderful or it's going to fail gloriously. One of the two, hopefully more of the former and less of the latter. We'll see how it goes. I, I, I have a lot of excitement. I was hoping to be able to stream Ocean's Eleven somewhere, but unfortunately, uh, you, you got to rent it or pay for it, and I don't have a copy of it. So we'll see what happens. I'll, I'll, I'll try and see if I can dig up a copy somewhere cheaply before uh, before Gary Con. All right. Well, that's about all I wanted to talk about this episode. I want to give a couple of thank yous. First, I want to give a thank you to TJ, the artist who has done some of the bumper music and other music that I include in this episode. I will put a link to his Patreon in my show notes. I hope you enjoy the music and you'll give his uh, Patreon a listen. I also want to thank James and the Goblins Henchmen for their thoughts on, especially their thoughts on the uh, AD&D initiative. And I want to thank the other folks who have written in with their comments and questions as well. As always, if you want to get a hold of me, there are different ways you can do it. You can leave a voicemail for me on a phone number, which I've provided in the show notes, as well as on the Anchor site where this podcast is hosted, as well as you can email me at chgowiz at gmail.com. Hope you have a wonderful week and game on.